0: good morning, family. I'd encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come to the time of the message. Lord God, we are such a blessed people. We have this morning celebrated the freedom that we have, the uh, redemption that we have, the forgiveness that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ as we've pictured together and partaken of communion and pictured His death for us. We've been reminded of what so many of our brothers and sisters endure around the world, being persecuted for their faith. And Lord, we, uh, may we be faithful to pray for them. May You give them grace and may You encourage them, keep them strong in the faith and strong in their witness for You. May we be faithful to live for You here where we are. Even this week, as we, as we come to a time of election, unlike our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, we have a voice. May we use it. May we vote. Lord, we pray for our government, for our leaders, for our president, for those who are in uh, Congress and, and the House, for uh, every level of government. Lord, You call for us to, to pray for kings, for leaders, for those in authority. Lord, we, we confess often we do not pray as we ought for them faithfully. Lord, we ask that You would give wisdom and grace to our leaders. That You would bring those who don't know You into a knowledge and understanding and into faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That, Lord, You would bring into our land righteousness. That You would turn the hearts of Your people back to You and those who do not know Christ, that You would bring them to faith. Lord, we ask for a revival in our land. You tell us to pray for our leaders that we might uh, live quiet and peaceful lives. But the purpose is that You desire that all men come to know the truth. So, Lord, may we take advantage of the freedom we have to be faithful witnesses. Now, in these moments as we open Your Word, we ask that You would teach us. Instruct us from Your Word and may we be good listeners. May it not just pass through our ears, but the word, may the Word pass through our hearts. May it transform us. and May we put it into practice. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These last two chapters of this little book, Paul begins to paint for us a picture of what a life that is pleasing to God looks like. He calls us in verse 1 of chapter 4, he urges us and asks us to walk, to live in a way that pleases God. As we saw a couple of weeks ago before we took a break for the missions, we noticed in the first few verses of this chapter 4 that. That life that pleases God is a life of sanctification, of growing in holiness, of abstaining from sexual immorality. We pick it up today in verse 11 where he continues with something that we need to embrace and that is love for one another. Follow along. Let me just read verses 9 through 12 of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This little church we've seen is called a model church. They are a model for us in many things, That today we find that they are a model of love. Love for one another is a big deal in Scripture. In no less than 13 times that I count, The command to love one another is given in the New Testament. You'll recall that uh, Pastor Aaron was reminding us of communion of Jesus uh, meeting there with the disciples that last night before His crucifixion as He instituted this Last Supper. And there in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love one for another. Love is to be the badge. It's to be the trademark. It's to be the identifying characteristic. It's to be the tattoo of every believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus repeated Himself later that same evening over in John chapter 15, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Paul writes here to these this model church and he says, I don't need to write you anything about love for one another. He says, because you have already been taught by God to do this It's indeed what you're doing. It's worth noting that the Apostle Paul doesn't say to the Thessalonians, I don't need to write you anything about loving one another because you guys are really basically good people. And so loving other people comes naturally. (laughs) What he says is I don't need to write you because you've already heard the lesson, you've already grab the lesson, you're already putting the lesson into practice. First thing I want to notice as we talk about loving one another is the understanding that love needs to be learned. And this young group of believers learned this lesson. And it's interesting that he says how they learned it, he says you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And as I read that this week, it hit me, what does that mean? Paul doesn't explain it. He just says, you yourselves are taught by God. Did they show up one morning there, gathered one Sunday morning in church, and I'm glad you're here, a voice from heaven. (laughs) Let me tell you about love. Is, Is that what happened? No, I don't think so. Let me suggest two ways in which I believe God taught them to love and there's two ways, the same two ways that God teaches us or two ways that He will use to teach us today. There may be more, but here's two ways. One is Jesus' example. This church that has been put up for us by the Apostle as a model church, a model to all of the other believers in, in Macedonia, and this, in the region of Greece, and, and down through the ages to us. What we discovered in the early weeks, as in the early chapters of this book, was that they didn't invent the model. They became a model for us, but they didn't invent the model. They were good imitators of other models. Paul says, you imitated us, Paul, Silas, Timothy. Paul says, you imitated the Lord, we see in chapter 1, verse 7. He later says, you imitated the churches in Jerusalem and in Judea. So they had looked at other good models and they imitated them. And among those models I mentioned was the Lord Jesus Himself. The first way that they learned... How to love was they simply looked at the example of Jesus. We just read a few moments ago from John 15, Jesus' words to the disciples that night in the upper room where He said, I give you this commandment to love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And a few hours later, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Not only for His friends, but for those who were His enemies who would later turn and and trust Him. Jesus died for them. He died for the Pauls who became a persecutor of the early church before he became a believer in Jesus. Jesus' example, He was the ultimate example of self-sacrificing love when He laid down His life for us. Another way that God has taught them is God has taught them through His Spirit. The Spirit of God is at work in them and He is at work in us. You well know that when you and I become believers in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you know this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Spirit of God, when we become a believer in Christ, the Spirit of God begins a work within us, recreating us, taking the the what has become, because of sin, the default value in us, which is the opposite of love, it's selfishness. And He's in the process of overriding that, rewriting that, restoring it to its original default value at creation. When we were created in the image of God and the default value was love. The Holy Spirit is busy recreating that in us. We know that over in Galatians chapter 5. You recall that that passage. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence, the product, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's produced in us fruit. Just like an apple tree bears apples. Pecan tree bears pecans. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit indwelling, living in us, are to bear fruit. And the first in the list of that fruit is? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and on through the list. So we need to be taught. We can learn from Jesus' example. We learn the Holy Spirit teaches us. We learn from the Word of God. And not only do we have information, we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to change us. The second thing I want us to notice about love is that it is in, the intention here is for us to keep growing. Verse 10, For indeed, that's what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. This young church had gotten it. They had heard the message, grasped the message, put it into practice. They were loving other people and they were doing a bang-up job of it. Not only were they lo- loving each other right there in their own assembly, it says they were, they were reaching out throughout the region of Macedonia. Remember, they're in the little city of Thessalonica. The region is more like St. Charles County is to us. And they were, their impact of their love for other people was being felt throughout the whole area. And that's a big deal when you think of an area that size. For us, it takes a few minutes to drive to the other side of the county. When you're on foot, that's a whole different matter. These folks were really busy. They had become well known for their love. They had a reputation for loving It would be easy for a young church like that, for folks who had accomplished so much and been changed so much and making such an impact in such a short time, it would be very easy to start patting yourself on the back saying, wow, we've done a good job. And kind of sit back and go, yeah, we're doing good. (laughs) And Paul says, you guys are awesome, but you can do better. You guys are amazing, but do better. Keep doing more and more, he says. There's always going to be room for improvement. You and I need to be, as Paul was calling for them to be, intentionally looking for ways in which we can love others better. That we can love others more. Or as we said in Texas, more better. So you can learn to love others more better. It's easy to look around, and I think, in this church and to say, you know, we're we're doing pretty good. (laughs) I tell you, I, I do think, Chapel family, you guys are a loving bunch of folks. I see it continually. You're concerned for other people. Typically when there is a need that arises, You guys jump to meet that need, whether it's in the church or or in someone's in a particular family or person. I know just this week, Donna sent out an email saying, hey, we want some folks to come and welcome all these people, hundreds of folks will be coming through our doors, unchurched people this week to vote. We need a few folks just to be there, just say, hey, welcome. Serve some refreshments, not talk politics, not even talk church, just be there and Be a friendly face. Within minutes, people were emailing, texting, calling, and everything was filled. (laughs) I love that in this church. I don't know of any seething controversies, things simmering out there. I don't know of any open hostilities. I don't know of any hidden animosities among you all. You're kind to one another. You pray for each other. You're generous. As Harley said, even this last week, last last month with Change for Change, you just, on top of your regular giving, you came up with over $6,500 to send to our missionaries for Christmas gifts. Wow. You guys are awesome. But you can do better. See, once in a while we drop the ball. There are times I've known of where a new person has come into our church and they've gone and they have come and gone unwelcomed. There are times where someone has been hurting or lonely and they've gone unnoticed. There are a few times where someone has had a need and they've been left unassisted. Not intentionally, I don't think ever, but it's happened. Those things do happen occasionally and we need to strive and make sure that they don't ever happen. That's true, but I have a deeper concern than that. I believe the Scripture here is calling us to something deeper when Paul calls for us to be more and more loving. I think he's calling us to be more than what we've ever even thought for that church and for us today as 21st century evangelical American Christians who live in a consumer-oriented Christianity. It's calling for us to do more and be more. I'm afraid that our typical American Christian, even evangelical Christians, most of them have missed the whole point of church in less than an hour, hopefully, I'll be sitting at a dinner table. My hand will reach down and pick up some food and convey it up to my mouth. Not because the hand derives any pleasure out of the food, but because my head, my mind, tells and commands it to do it. My mouth will receive the food and my and my teeth and my gums and my tongue will start to to chew and to process this food, not because they derive any pleasure out of that, but because my brain, which does get some pleasure from that, tells it to do it. The food will go on down to my stomach, and I'm not going to give a whole anatomical lesson here, which we'll all be thankful for in a few minutes. But the stomach will begin to digest the food, which it derives no pleasure from, though my mind does when my stomach is full. But in the process of all these things and more, with all these parts of the body that are working, which derive no particular pleasure from the action But what happens is in the end result, every part of the body gets fed, every part gets nourished so that the body is alive and healthy and able to go and do whatever it is that the head tells the body to do. In the Bible, the picture of the church, the metaphor of the church is not a country club nor a spa where we go and get pampered. Nor in the Bible is the picture or metaphor of the church a restaurant where we get catered to with food that we order. The picture, the metaphor of the church in the Scripture is what? The body. You see the typical American evangelical believer goes to church for moi. <laughs> for me. For myself. We've got it upside down. The church is to come together not be out of convenience. Not because it's a nice thing to do. Not because it's a pleasant thing to do. We are to come together because it is an essential thing to do which if we do not do, we die. Have you noticed that a thumb left to itself on a table doesn't do very well? Nor a toe or an ear or an eyeball or any other part of the body. What happens to any part of the body left to itself? It dies. See, we, we think of church as optional, as something we do, where the Bible says the church is not something we do, it's something we are, and it is absolutely essential that we come together. It is absolutely essential that we come together to connect with the head, who is Jesus Christ. We connect with Him in worship and in prayer and in the study of the Word of God, the Word of Christ, where we are instructed. And we are connected to one another. The individual parts of the body. Have you noticed with your body that I don't know if there's any part. Well, maybe there is one. I'm sure you'll think of one. I, I just couldn't. I can't think of a part of the body that can do anything to help itself. What can your thumb do to help itself? Nothing. But your thumb can work with your fingers and pull a splinter out of your other thumb. You see, parts of the body work together to help other parts of the body, but they don't do anything to help themselves. That's the metaphor of the church. That's the picture of the church in Scripture. We come to connect to the head and connect to one another, not for us, but for the head and for the rest of the body. So we come together because Jesus has said we need to come together. And so when I lay aside my own interests, my own agenda, my own preferences, my own desires, even my own needs, and I set those aside and I come to gather with the church to submit myself to Jesus the Head, to learn and obey His Word here and to interact with and to invest in and to serve the other members of the body using, by the way, the gifts and the resources that the head has given and supplied to me and to you. And as each part of the body does its part, then all the parts of the body are blessed. All the parts of the body are nourished. And then the work that the head, Jesus, desires to get done in the body and through the body gets done. And you know the amazing, surprising thing at the end of all of that? Is that when I expend myself in obedience to the head and in the service of the body, I discover that I myself am refreshed, nourished, and satisfied. So what everybody thinks they're going to church for is the end result, but if you go for the end result, you miss everything else along the way. That's the biblical picture of the church. It's not about me, it's about Jesus, and it's about the other parts of the body. And I believe a majority of believers today are spiritually weak and malnourished and frustrated because they are not significantly connected with other believers, nor are they expending themselves in the service of Jesus and His body. We need to grow in love. And that means living for Jesus and giving up ourselves serving Him. He goes on in the next verse and it sounds like something that is unconnected to everything he's just said. That he's just changed subjects. Verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. But the theme here is love and he hasn't changed subjects. If you'll notice in many of your English translations, the first word there in verse 11 is and. Some English translations don't have that word, but they should. It's in the Greek. It's the first word in the Greek in that verse. And. What does the word and do? You all took high school English. It connects (laughs) this with that. He's just talking about love. He hasn't changed subjects. And three things. What He's giving us here is three practical ways to build love in our church, in our relationships, in our life. First thing in the list, to aspire to live quietly. Some of you have people in your life you wish would be quiet every once in a while. It's not talking about silence. You can't quote this verse and say, "Hey, shut up, you know No. besides, that's rude. I know I've been told never say that. Okay It's not it. Quiet here means not the absence of talking, but a quietness of soul. It means being at peace. It means being not frantic, being not harried. I don't know if you've thought about this, but we can't do a good job of loving and caring for other people if we're frazzled and rattled and anxious and preoccupied with other concerns. As I was growing up, my pastor used to say, if you're too busy for people... You're too busy. That's what He's saying here. If you're always just running and anxious and, and, and you know just worried about this and worried about that and busy, 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 you have no time to connect with people. No time to, to really love other people. He's saying you need to aspire to live quietly. On top of that, all those who study churches You can do any reading and you'll find it very quickly that over the last 40, 50 years, a trend has been noted that is increasing and increasing as every year goes by. And that's this, that among those who consider themselves committed Christians, which is probably most of the folks here in this room, over the years, those who call themselves committed Christians, the frequency of church attendance has dropped and the level involvement of involvement the amount of involvement with church related activities bible studies and etc outside of sunday morning has dropped used to be that most believers rarely ever missed the sunday if they really if they did they felt terribly guilty about it and they were there sunday morning sunday evening today the average committed christian Attends church two to three times a month. I say that not to put a guilt trip on you, but simply to say this. It's hard to love our brothers and sisters if we don't show up. It's hard to connect significantly with the other members of the body if we're not together. Try having a good relationship with your spouse if you only see each other once a month. It may be possible, but it's really difficult. If we believe this is serious that we are in the body and we are connected and we need one another and it's essential, then we'd better show up. We need to make it a priority. And that's my point. I think one of the greatest impediments, obstacles that most of us have in our Christian walk and Christian ministry is that today we are incredibly busy people. Even frantically busy, many of us, but for most of us, the stuff that simply drives us frantic is stuff that doesn't matter. Stuff when you look two years, three years, five years down the road, if you look past time and into eternity, it's the stuff that really didn't matter at all. I think there are probably with so many believers we need to take some pruning shears to our schedule and cut some things out. It may be cutting back on hours at work. It may be cutting out some sports. It may be cutting out some hobbies. It may be cutting out some kids' activities. I don't know what it is. But if it's an issue in your life, I think you need to get serious with it. A great read I recommend. I won't talk any more about it this morning except to mention it. But it's short, it's easy reading, and it could be life-changing if you put it in practice. A little book by a guy named Charles Hummel called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Even if you're not a reader, it's a small enough, short enough book you can handle it. Okay? And I challenge you. I double-dog dare you. Read the book. Aspire to live quietly. By the way, I just want to point out that little word aspire because if you really look at what this sentence says, it's like an oxymoron. Aspire means to um, to strive restlessly. So the, the sentence literally reads, strive restlessly to live a restful life. <laughs> you think know, that's an oxymoron except for the fact that when we think about it, we realize just how hard it is to start pruning that schedule. And I realize it's going to be a battle. And I realize that, wait a minute, Paul is writing this to a first century church. They didn't have telephones that carry around with them. They didn't have email and social media and they didn't have... Uh, computers and they didn't have uh, all the stuff that tends to drive us today. And it was a battle for them. He says, strive restlessly to live a restful, unharried life. If it was something they had to strive for, what does that say to us? It's going to take some effort. It's going to take intentionality. One more point here, he says. He says, actually two more, sorry. I had a hurry. I spent way too much time on that. Mind your own affairs. Mind your own affairs. Two parts of this little command. As much as you're able, carry your share of the load. That's what he's saying. Take, your, take care of your own needs. Pay your way. Clean up your own mess. Don't leave it for someone else. If the coffee pot's empty, don't complain about it. Make coffee. That's what he's saying. Do do your share so that, as he says in the next verse, you will be dependent on no one. He's not arguing for rugged individualism. He's just saying so that you don't become a burden for other people. Don't be a burden on someone else if you can take care of yourself comes a time for most of us eventually where we can't do that <laughs> get that but for most of us that's a long way off carry your, sh- carry your share of the load but there's another part to that and that's simply this it's don't go around putting your nose into other people's business some folks just love to know everybody else's stuff they have kind of got some morbid curiosity don't go there Some folks think they have a spiritual gift of criticism, so they have to know what's going on in everybody else's life so they can set them straight on how they ought to do it. Don't go there either. Remember what Jesus said? Don't don't worry about the, the speck in somebody else's eye. Get rid of the log that's in yours. That's the emphasis here. Paul ties those two thoughts together about the person who's not taking care of their own needs and just sponging off everybody else and and the person who's being a busybody. And he puts those together in his next letter to this same church because apparently they didn't get the message. Sometimes we, just like them, have to hear things twice or so. And he got really pointed and he said it this way, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. You're not busy at work, but you are busybodies. Ooh. That's his point. Mind your own affairs. That is an expression of love for our brothers and sisters. But there's one more here. He says, Live quietly, mind your own affairs, and work with your own hands. In other words, be productive. Going beyond just taking care of your own needs. That's important, but that really is, I think, in the, in the one ahead of this. It goes really back to our purpose as people God intended for us to be productive. He created us that way from the very beginning. Sleep and rest are good and necessary things, but they quickly can become with too much of that, it can become idleness and laziness. Recreation can be good, but it quickly can move into laziness and It can rob time. How easily we plug ourselves into sports, we plug ourselves into hobbies, we plug ourselves into TV, we plug ourselves into social media, we plug ourselves into, you know, whatever it is, video games. And before we know it, we have spent hours and hours, even days, even weeks, some folks even years of their life Accomplishing absolutely zero. Brothers and sisters, we were created for more than that. We were made for higher than that. Go to many verses, but I'll just go to one from the book of Ephesians. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works significantly, which God prepared in advance for us to do long before you and I were ever born. God prepared works for you to do, and He prepared you specifically for those works. Good works. Not just being missionaries and pastors, and those are good things, but He created some of you to be engineers, and some of you to be builders, and some of you to be teachers, and some of you to be homemakers, and some of you, He gave you all kinds of gifts, all kinds of abilities. He expects you to use them all. God made us to be productive people, so work faithfully, work hard, work skillfully, create things, help people. Whatever it is that you do tomorrow, whether you're a student, whether you are a construction worker, whether you are a businessman or woman, whatever it is that you do tomorrow, if you're a homemaker, if if you're retired. You got a hobby. Make whatever it is you do tomorrow your Monday morning pulpit. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. A minister isn't just me. We're all supposed to be ministers, servants of Christ. Turn whatever it is you do into something purposeful and do it for the glory of Christ. That's the point. Love for God and love for other people calls for you and me to use our time and our energies productively. Lastly, and I'll just wrap it up with the last verse that we're looking at, verse 12. He tells us the result of this. Why does it matter? You know, so often we tell our kids to do something and their first question is, why? Usually our first answer is, because I said so. With God, that's always a great answer. That should be enough. But God in His grace often tells us why. One reason He says here, look at it, verse 12. He says, "...so that you may walk properly before outsiders." That word properly has an interesting literal translation. It means gracefully or becomingly. If I may say it in another way, it means to be attractive. So I put that thought together. It says this, "...when we love well..." We make the gospel of Jesus attractive. The world cannot look at you when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow. The world can't look at you and look inside your heart and see, you know, there goes Bob. Bob was an awful, vile sinner who has been rescued from sin by the grace of Jesus Christ through His blood on the cross. He's been redeemed. He's been given a new identity. He's been given a new future. He's headed for heaven. They can't look at you and see that. I can't look at you and see that. What the world does do is they look at us to see does your walk, match your talk Does your life match your profession? You say you're a Christian. Does your life reflect that? Does our faith show up where our shoes touch the ground? It really is exactly what Jesus said that we read earlier from John 13. He says, By this will all men know that you are My disciples, if you have love one for another if you and I really are loving one another as this calls us to do, it will be obvious to everybody we know there's something different about them. And it must have something to do with this Jesus they talk about. Father, and this has been some convicting stuff. Because while in some ways we look and we say, man, I'm pretty good at loving other people, when we really start putting it under the microscope here and we see some of what this is, we realize, wow, we've got a long ways to go. Father God, I pray that You will this morning, that You will not only have shown us this truth, but it will then transform into a desire in our heart, I want to be that. But then there comes a tendency to get discouraged because we realize that's a lot more than I can do. I can't be that. That's not my default value. <laughs> I just naturally tend to be selfish. I know it's not what I should be, but I struggle with that. And then we're reminded of the good news. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's something that you desire in us and something you will produce in us if we make it our aspiration You'll work with us and change us. Lord, make us such a loving people that people will look at us and they'll be attracted to Jesus. There are going to be probably some changes in most of our lives that need to happen from some of the things that we've talked about here this morning and others we just haven't had time to even look at. But Lord, may You begin to make those changes that even this week will reflect your great love for us in the way that we love others. In Jesus' name we ask.